<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. COVID-21, lethal virus. Now, I hear you going, COVID-21? I thought it was COVID-19. Well, it is COVID-19. It's actually SARS-CoV-2, that's the name of the virus. COVID-19 is the name of the disease it produces. But this was in yesterday's Financial Times. I find it absolutely fascinating. I've been you know, reading the Financial Times for years and years, and they sometimes get into this stuff in depth. And what they're pointing out is that SARS and MERS and COVID, they're all coronaviruses. They all jumped from bats into a middle species and then into humans. They are all the result of humans expanding our footprint around the world into the wilderness, where the estimated 10,000 viruses that have not been identified that, that might be human pathogens live. And in this article, it's by David Crow, it's in the Financial Times, FT.com, and it's titled, The Next Virus Pandemic is Not Far Away. COVID-21, Lethal Virus, is the name of a TV movie that's in post-production right now. It hypothesizes that a virus that is as contagious as COVID, but as deadly as SARS, you'll recall SARS killed about half the people who got it. COVID is killing about 4% of the people who get it. So, you know, a virus that is as lethal as SARS, but as, con and SARS was not that contagious. It was highly contagious compared to a lot of things, but it was more contagious actually by contact. Remember the, the original case, the first case out of Hong Kong was a guy who got it from pushing an elevator button and he took it with him to Canada, as I recall. And then they locked it down in Canada in, in around Toronto someplace and finally stopped that virus. So, you know, there's this movie that is saying, you know, what happens if large chunks of humanity get this and actually die? That said, I mean, you know, we're now on course for Trump killing a quarter million Americans before the end of the year. In fact, maybe even before Election Day. I mean, the, the, these new numbers out, you know, they're looking at the possibility of 300,000 dead Americans. And it'll only be 220,000 dead Americans if 95% if of us wore masks, according to the most recent study. But this piece out of the Financial Times points out that Ebola, HIV, Zika, all of these are viruses that existed for millennia in the wild without coming into contact with human beings and then hit the human population as a result of humans going into wild areas where there had not been humans before. And it's one of the reasons why uh, you know, we really do need to set aside large chunks of the world, maybe as much as a third of the world, certainly a quarter of the world, and say, these are areas we're going to protect. And instead, we're burning 6,000 acres of the Amazonian rainforest every single hour. I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling what's going on. They interview Aaron Bernstein, the director of the Center for Climate, Health, and Global Environment at Harvard University. He said the coronavirus pandemic is completely unsurprising. And by the way, this is why the Obama administration wrote a pandemic playbook, 
and it was literally called the pandemic playbook. They left it for the Trump administration. Trump threw it out. It's why they created two agencies, one inside the Department of HHS and one inside the, the national security infrastructure to deal with a pandemic. Trump closed those both down in his first year in office. Yeah, too, too much big government. We got to get rid of this big government. It's why the Obama administration did this, because we all saw this coming. You know, first it was SARS, then it was MERS, which was HIV, and then Ebola, and then, and then Zika. And, you know, it's just been going on and on and on. He says, we swim in a common germ pool with other animals. If we stretch the fabric of life too far, things pop out of that germ pool, and they land on us. The issues at risk here are land use, deforestation. He said, that's the single biggest driver for emerging diseases is deforestation. He said, what this does when we cut these forests, it forces the animals carrying these viruses to find new habitats, increasing the chance of them spreading pathogens to other species, including humans. Now, that's part of the story. The other part of the story is that the planning for this pandemic that should have been done over the last 40 years, since, since we figured out how, how this happened with AIDS, and we've seen pandemic flu and things like that, deadly flus. Planning should have happened a long time ago. How do you prepare for a pandemic? Well, number one, you harden your public health infrastructure. You have national public health programs as well as strong state public health programs, and you richly fund them. We have instead been cutting programs for public health since the Reagan revolution. It's part of the austerity program that has been promoted by neoliberals for the last 40 years. And number two, you have a national health care system. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have one. It's probably the reason why we're the only developed country in the world with an unemployment rate above 10%. I guess that doesn't have so much, quite so much to do with the health care system as it does with the fact that other countries are providing assistance directly to citizens rather than cycling it through big banks and, and giant corporations. But you get the point. Having a national health care system so that we can deal with this. I mean, there's some pretty straightforward stuff, policy stuff. That and, and, and by the way, let's get more doctors and nurses out there. So let's get more people into college and let's pay for it so that you don't graduate with a nursing degree with a $70,000, $80,000 debt or with an MD with a $200,000 or $300,000 debt. Let's build our resilience. Let's build our infrastructure. Let's strengthen the CDC because this virus is not the last virus that this human race is going to encounter, not by a long shot. This is absolutely fascinating. The New York Post, Yaron Steinbook writing, experts at the University of Manchester. This is a study out of the UK, doctors in Britain. The first sentence kind of nails it. It's already been established that some coronavirus survivors lose their sense of smell and taste. It appears that some people have permanently lost it, although we're only six months into this, so we don't know how, you know, maybe it'll come back in a year, maybe it'll come back in two years, maybe it just needs another couple months, we don't know. But doctors in Britain now warn that they can also lose their hearing. Experts at the University of Manchester studied 121 adults who were admitted to Whiteshawn Hospital who were questioned about their lingering symptoms for two months after being discharged. Eight of them reported a loss of hearing, and eight others said they had developed tinnitus, if I'm pronouncing that right, or ringing in the ears, according to the news outlet. Ken Munro, a professor of audiology at the University of Manchester, said, we already know that viruses such as measles, mumps, and meningitis can cause hearing loss, and coronaviruses can damage the nerves that carry information to and from the brain. So it's possible, in theory, that COVID-19 could also cause problems with parts of the auditory system, including the middle ear or cochlea. And then he goes on talking about auditory neuropathy, which is basically an inflammation of the nerves in the ear that can lead to permanent loss of hearing. Now, that's kind of the bad news story. The good news story, this is an absolutely fascinating one. This is out of Israel. It is peer-reviewed. This is solid peer-reviewed science. It's not something you found on the, you know, found this on the internet. You know, I realized that Dr. Oz, one of Donald Trump's favorite doctors who was hustling chloroquine back in the day, 
also had pointed out some months ago that there was there were initial studies indicating that vitamin D might not only prevent you from getting coronavirus, but if you do get it, diminish the symptoms. And there have been now a half a dozen studies that suggest this. This is probably the most comprehensive. This is from the Times of Israel. Frankel Morgenstern of Bar Ilan University told the Times of Israel on Sunday that vitamin D is like a steroid after publishing what she says is the world's largest population-based study of its kind. They looked at 7,807 Israelis and found that the average vitamin D level for people who screened negatively, in other words, people who had no, no, no evidence of the virus, was in the internationally accepted adequate range while the average for those who tested positive fell into the inadequate category. This is like the fifth study that shows this. We still don't know if the way this is working is that, uh, vitamin D, by the way, it's a hormone. It's a, a human hormone. It's, it's the only vitamin, I believe it's the only vitamin that is actually also a hormone and arguably a steroid. I, I, I don't know the distinction well enough to, to make that claim specifically, but you know, this university researchers says it's behaving like a steroid. But what we don't know is whether having COVID causes your vitamin D levels to collapse or low vitamin D levels to begin with make you more vulnerable to getting infected by COVID. They're assuming the latter, but I don't think that, you know, from what, from my read of the study, they haven't proved either one. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Food and Drug Administration doubled, 20 years ago, doubled the amount of vitamin D that they say every American should be taking every day. And the lighter your skin, the more vitamin D you will get from a certain amount of sun. The darker your skin, the less vitamin D you will get from a certain amount of sun. And sunlight or vitamin D fortified foods like milk are the only, you know, which have had vitamin D added to them, are the only ways to get vitamin D outside of taking a pill every day, which I've been doing for 20 years. I take, you know, 5,000 units of vitamin D every day. I have no idea if that's the right dosage for you or for COVID or anything. I'm not recommending anything. I'm not trying to offer health advice. I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's what my doc 20 years ago said. You should take this every day. And I've been doing it ever since. And, uh, and my vitamin D levels are high. And I remember when Louise was diagnosed with breast cancer, when we lived in Washington, D.C., they took, uh, they did a blood test on her and her vitamin D levels were collapsed. Really, really low vitamin D. And, you know, we don't know, again, whether the cancer caused the vitamin D levels to decline, you know, or sucked it up, or whether low vitamin D levels made her more vulnerable to cancer, or it was just complete coincidence. Who knows? But uh, this is now the fifth study, and a peer-reviewed, published peer-reviewed study showing that there is a clear relationship between healthy levels of vitamin D and doing well with COVID or not getting COVID versus low levels of vitamin D and having poor outcomes with COVID. And the populations in the United States who in study after study, epidemiological study after study, who consistently have the lowest levels of vitamin D are people with dark skin. And the darker their skin, the, the generally speaking, the lower the level of vitamin D. So this is, you know, very straightforward stuff that's worth paying attention to. So Donald Trump doesn't have the time or bandwidth to actually do anything about the coronavirus, like implementing a nationwide testing program. We know now that, thanks to this extraordinary Vanity Fair article, that back in late March, Jared Kushner and some of the great brains in the White House had actually put together a national testing strategy, mandating that the nation build up stockpiles of testing and test all across the country and all this kind of stuff. All that came to a screeching halt on April 7th when it was reported nationwide that African-Americans and Hispanics were more likely to die from COVID-19 than were white people. In the following two weeks, Kushner and Trump sat around and said, hey, this is killing Democrats. This is killing black people. This is killing Hispanics. This is, this is killing poor people. This is killing the elderly who vote Social Security. Let's let it keep killing them. They literally deep six this entire program. So Trump has no program for America with regard to COVID-19. None. Zero. Other than going on TV regularly and saying, well, maybe you should take hydroxychloroquine. This is how nutty this guy is. No, this is how evil this scheme is. 
so he's doing none of that. But what, he, what is he actually doing? Well, it turns out one of the things he actually did, according to, uh, according to a 2018 interview with Governor Kristi Noem, she is the governor of South Dakota, he reached out and said, uh, can you put my face on Mount Rushmore? Where he had one of his people. Right. Like the governor of South Dakota, I mean, that's where Mount Rushmore is, but it's a federal monument. I think he could do that himself, maybe. I don't know. A uh, lawmaker in Georgia, I saw this on CNN this morning. I retweeted two of her tweets. A Georgia lawmaker says she wants to hear from students, teachers, and administrators with safety concerns. Her name is Beth Moore. She is a state legislator, a Democrat from Peachtree Corners, which is north suburban, north, as I recall, north east suburban Atlanta. I may be wrong on that, but, you know, we lived there for, geez, I think 18 years. She's gotten hundreds of emails from teachers in Georgia, basically outing this ongoing the disaster that's going on. One teacher said that a colleague of hers has COVID, was diagnosed with COVID, but is feeling better today, so she's going to go to work because she needs the paycheck. And this woman has to work with this person who has COVID, and she's a little freaked out. The other headline is from Bloomberg, kind of reports itself. There's a major outbreak of COVID and deaths, a spike in deaths in Australia. Now, keep in mind, we're averaging over 1,000 deaths a day. We had one day last week where we had over 2,000 deaths nationwide, and we're averaging around 50,000 new cases a day in the United States. So 1,000, 2,000 deaths a day in the United States. Well, Australia had its deadliest day on July 30th. Australia had its, this is, I'm reading from the story, from the article. Australia had its deadliest day in the coronavirus pandemic with 19 fatalities. We have 1,000. They had 19. The number of new infections climbed by 322. That's about what we get in, Port, in uh, Oregon every day. About between two and 300 new cases, sometimes 400. The new record of fatalities, 19 people, eclipses the previous high of 17. Right. 55%, this is from marketwatch.com, 50, the headline, 55% of coronavirus patients still have neurological problems three months later. I saw Chris Cuomo on, on uh, TV during his handoff to Don Lemon one night. This was two, three weeks ago. And uh, Don was like, how you doing? You know, because he had COVID. And he said, I'm still not 100%. He said, I, my brain is still foggy. Well, apparently this may be very long-term. I mean, we don't know. We've only had the virus for a few months, but they're saying among these, uh, well, I'll just read from the article by Nicole Lynn Pess. While lung scarring, heart and kidney damage may result from COVID-19, doctors and researchers are starting to clock the potential long-term impact of the virus on the brain. Confusion and difficulty concentrating, also called brain fog, as well as headaches, extreme fatigue, mood changes, insomnia, and a loss of taste or smell. Then they did this uh, pretty exhaustive analysis of people who have recovered from COVID. One in five young adults under 34 was not back to their usual health. That's 20% up to three weeks after testing positive. 35% of surveyed U.S. adults overall have not returned to the normal state of health. Now, a new study of COVID-19 patients published in Lancet this week finds that 55% of them are still displaying such neurological symptoms during follow-up visits three months later. And then they put them on brain scans. And they said that you know, on the scans, the brains of the COVID patients showed structural changes that correlated with memory loss and smell loss. In other words, parts of the brain are actually being destroyed or damaged by this virus. And then they add, that's not exclusive to adults. Marco Rubio tweeting, oh, you know, kids, not very many of them will get sick. Well, this is from uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association's Neurology magazine or publication. Children with multi-system inflammatory syndrome. This is what that 10-year-old has where, you know, dad is saying, please don't uh, let more tourists come. These children develop neurological manifestations such as headaches, muscle weakness, confusion, and disorientation. They looked at a group of children with this in the UK. Half of them 
quote, these children develop neurological manifestations such as headaches, muscle weakness, confusion, and disorientation. While half the kids recovered, the other half continued to show symptoms including muscle weakness so severe that they need a wheelchair. University College warned about the potential brain damage epidemic caused by COVID-19 in the journal Brain last month. The study examined COVID patients treated in London in April and May and found 10 out of 43 cases of temporary brain dysfunction and delirium, 12 cases of brain inflammation, 8 cases of strokes, 8 cases of nerve damage. That's like nearly half of them. No, it's actually more than half of them. Dr. Mark Zandi was quoted saying, quote, we have an epidemic on a large scale of brain damage linked to the pandemic, perhaps similar to the encephalitis lethargica outbreak in the 1920s after the 1918 flu pandemic. There was a jump in neurological and psychiatric problems worldwide for years after the 1918 flu pandemic because it was so serious. When you almost die, it alters your body. That's the bottom line here. The medical director of Mount Sinai's Center for Post-COVID Care in New York told MarketWatch that he's been seeing patients with extreme fatigue and difficulty concentrating for months after they purportedly recovered from the virus. He says, quote, their ability to work, their contribution to the workforce to the domestic product is going to be reduced. And then Chris Cuomo on CNN said, quote, I've got an onset of clinical depression, which is not sadness. People keep saying to me, don't be sad. I'm not sad. I'm depressed. It's different. I can't control it. Stay away from this disease. What Donald Trump and his administration and Republicans like Marco Rubio, oh, you can send the kids back to school. They don't get that terribly sick that often. Well, you know, most people who get polio don't get paralyzed either. Do we want this around? To Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So looking at, you know, we've been talking in the previous uh, for days now about the coronavirus and the Trump administration response to it, particularly the response since April 7th, when all the uh, newspapers and electronic media in the United States announced that black and Hispanic folks were, were dying at disproportionate rates to white people. That was the week that all of a sudden, the, basically the entire Republican Party and Freedom Works and a bunch of these right-wing groups suddenly started saying, oh, it's time to open America back up. The week before that, everybody was in lockdown and everybody was in, in uh, step with that. So what would somebody who has actually overseen the Office of the Surgeon General say about this, somebody who has overseen the Commission Corps of the U.S. Health Service, somebody who oversaw the Department of HHS's Office of Public Health and and Science, the former Assistant Secretary of Health for HHS, uh, confirmed by the Senate in 2009, nominated by President Obama, and a professor of public health leadership at Harvard. Well, such a person is on the line with us, Dr. Howard Koh, and his uh, Twitter handle is drhowardkoh website hsph.harvard.edu. Dr. Coe, welcome to the program. What are the things that we're doing wrong that we could or should be doing right? The lessons that we can not just learn from other countries, but also from, for example, the time that you had when you were working in this field. Tom, thanks for having me on. You know, we're into month seven and counting in the worst pandemic our nation has faced in over a century, and we still don't have a national strategy for how to move forward. And it's so critical to talk about this, especially as the fall is arriving and flu season will be here, especially when schools and colleges are thinking about how to reopen, especially when sports teams are trying to figure out how to get back on track. Until now, Tom, we've had 50 states going in 50 different directions. Uh, We've had states competing with each other for supplies and PPE and test kits. We've had inconsistent messaging from the White House. In fact, the only consistent part of it has been the inconsistency. And so it's led to a patchwork response, which has resulted in now over 5 million cases and 160,000 plus deaths. So we need more national coordination. We need more strategies. We need to test not just harder, but smarter. And we need a more proactive approach going forward. Do you see any of those things being discussed by anybody in this administration? Well, we are very hopeful about a COVID vaccine coming online. So 
that gives us a lot of promise to look forward to. And we have an outstanding scientific effort going on by NIH and in partnership with pharma. And uh, we also have leaders like Dr. Fauci, who I had the great honor of working closely with, who is overseeing that scientific effort. It's very important, though, to make sure that we coordinate the seasonal flu efforts this coming fall and the messaging and the communication with whatever COVID vaccine effort uh, comes next. Uh, when I was Assistant Secretary in 2009, Tom, uh, we, we did that with a one-government approach where we had two simultaneous flu vaccination campaigns going on in the U.S., H1N1 vaccine and seasonal flu vaccine. It was not easy, but the only way we got through it was a one-government approach that brought together federal, state, and local health officials, and that's what we need going forward. Yeah, I mean, you worked in the Obama administration. You know Joe Biden. How do you think a Biden presidency would deal with this or should deal with this, for that matter? Well, the vice president actually published an op-ed in January when the first few cases of the novel coronavirus were occurring in the U.S. And that op-ed summarized his experience in government. Anybody who has served in government, especially in the midst of public health crises, knows that these crises are inevitable. It's not a question of if, but when. And so to be prepared, to be proactive, to have plans, to have all of government working together to protect high-risk groups, to stay uh, ahead of the curve at all times uh, is critically important. And that has not happened to date. So uh, I'm anticipating if the Biden campaign is successful, that philosophy, philosophy will be restored. One of the big news stories was that President Putin of Russia had ordered his equivalent of the FDA to, on an emergency basis, set aside the requirement for phase three testing of a vaccine. Phase one, give it to a small number of people, make sure nobody dies. Phase two, give it to a slightly larger number of people and see if it produces a good, strong immune response. Phase three, try it out on tens of thousands of people and see if there's, you know, like during Jerry Ford's administration, we really didn't apparently do that third stage aggressively enough because we ended up with all these people getting the, as I recall, it was what, swine flu vaccine and, and you had this Gian Barr uh, syndrome, you know, neurological disorder. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, please. But in the context of answering this question, I mean, Russia has said we don't need to do this and we're going to roll out a vaccine. How concerned are you that Donald Trump may do the same thing here? Well, we're watching what our peer nations are doing with respect to COVID response. The announcement from Russia this morning is very alarming because here in the U.S., we have a well-developed process of vaccine development, testing, trials, uh, release, and then tracking of outcomes, particularly safety outcomes. Uh, we've done that here in the U.S. and, of course, in many other places around the world multiple times from multiple vaccines. And so when a new vaccine is being developed and tested, it's got to go through those phases that you described, Tom. Uh, we have to have excellent data and science. We have to have the best scientists looking at the data and deciding when a vaccine is deemed effective, uh, having the FDA work closely uh, in this process, of course. Uh, in Russia, that has not occurred. Um, what, what I'm seeing and what we're reading is that they're making that vaccine available to people when the trials have not been completed, in fact, have barely started. So that's, that's not the way to do it. Uh, here, here in the U.S., we need to follow those standards and that process very, very carefully, keep the science at the highest level, and then when a vaccine is approved uh, by the FDA and released, we have to track the safety profile very, very carefully because that's what the American people need and deserve. The fastest we have ever taken a vaccine from initial development to final widespread distribution was the mumps vaccine. It took four years. Again, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I just read it in the popular press. You're the scientist and professor. But what makes us think that we can produce a vaccine in six months or eight months or 10 months even when typically well, when the fastest vaccine that the United States has ever developed in, in you know, 200 years is, took four years? Well, that's a good question, and you, you know your public health history very well. So you're right. Vaccine development usually takes on the order of decades or years. The COVID vaccine has been fast-tracked and, and could be available in a matter of months, that is, at the end of this year or early next year. Through this process, we have understood over the years that when a vaccine is critical, as it is now, 
we have to stay ahead of the curve. I've served in government in past administrations where there were vaccine shortages at key times, and no one wanted that to happen. So this philosophy now that's being implemented by the administration has evolved over multiple administrations over multiple years. Uh, you may know that the U.S. government has already bought up millions, in fact, billions of doses of vaccines from multiple companies, even though no vaccine has been proven yet, because they don't want to lose any time if uh, one of them is proven effective. So that is a strategy we're all banking on to get people the vaccine they need and deserve when one is found scientifically to work. Yeah, if, if money is no object, then that makes a certain amount of sense. The, my concern is that Typically, it takes a year or so before you even know what the side effects are. I mean, that's why typically vaccine trials take four to ten years. Yeah, that's right. So that's why monitoring safety outcomes is critical, not just now when vaccines are being researched, but later when vaccines are, are disseminated as, and as they're rolled out. being administered to people. Yeah. Right. Dr. Howard Coe, professor of public health at Harvard University. Yeah, Dr. Coe, thanks so much for dropping by. It's great talking to you. Tom, a pleasure. To Thank Tom you. Tom Hartman. Visit Thank TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Dennis in Bergenfield, New Jersey. Hey, Dennis, what's up? 
Hey, Tom, I got a question about the COVID uh, $2 trillion relief bill. $3 trillion is what the Democrats are proposing. $1 trillion is what the Republicans say they'll accept. I, but yeah. I, I understand it's going to get added to the budget deficit. Does this mean, yeah. correct, me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, does this mean that the Treasury has to print uh, $3 trillion worth of Treasuries? And what would this add to the supply of money in circulation? No. No, the Treasury does not have the power to print money, Dennis. Only the Fed has that power, and the Fed has already printed $7 trillion, not technically printed, but you know, created out of thin air $7 trillion, and they're using that money right now to buy stocks and bonds to support the stock market. They've been doing that for about five months. It's unprecedented. It's probably illegal. It's never been done before. Um, in terms of the money that the Treasury, you know, that Congress appropriates, that money is spent by the Treasury, and the, and the place where the Treasury gets that money, since they don't have the power to print money, is they borrow it. And they borrow it by selling bonds and Treasury bonds. And so, and which, you know, don't have any consequential impact on inflation um, because it's not a change in the money supply. The, the, only, the only danger of a, an increasing federal debt, and we're up to, I think, 23, 24 trillion now. Um, which is more than you know our annual GDP, but Japan has been running at 200% of GDP for over 30 years, or over 20 years anyway. Um, the only danger there is that you're, you're wasting a lot of money paying interest. Um, and you could say that that's a danger. The, other, uh, the flip side of that, though, is that um, you know, that is private savings. The, the, you know, if, uh, the, the six or seven years that we did not, that the Treasury was not allowed to sell bills, this was uh, during the Andrew Jackson administration. He paid off the national debt 100%. It's the only time it's happened in the history of America. And it threw us into the deepest and longest depression in the history of the country. And it was because there was no place that people could safely put their savings. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not worried about deficit spending right now. Um, and and frankly, I doubt that even the seven trillion dollars that the Fed has created is going to have a substantial inflationary impact. Uh, I think I, I'm just more concerned with the fact that they're manipulating our economy or at least the stock market part of our economy in order to make things look good so that Donald Trump can get reelected. But the uh, bottom line, not not to worry. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Yeah, you know, I'm all in with Joe and Kamala. Not my first choice, but, you know, after we get him but, in there, what's what what's the best method to move the DNC further to the left to get what we want? I mean, I know we, I need to get involved in my, my party, which I have been, you know, COVID's put a hold on that. Um, but what, well, I mean, most, what, what most is, local parties are doing things virtually now. But yeah, I, you know, that's still always my first advice is get inside the party. The second is find progressive candidates all over the country that you can support, whether it's phone banking or whether it's sending them a few bucks, um, you know, whatever it may be. If you can find progressive and there's there's certainly no shortage of them, uh, people who are going to be yeah. running for everything from, you know, the, the mayor to to, you know, Congress. And yeah, uh, I found one in San Francisco, uh, Shahid Buttar, but you don't want me to mention his name. But I think that no, that's fine. Shahid's an old friend of mine and he's a good guy and he's challenging Nancy Pelosi right now. He has no chance, but, you know, he's fighting the good fight and, and you know, and pointing out some of the things that needed to be that need to be pointed out. Um, and, and like by like I said, you know, support progressive candidates, uh, you know, right across the board. So, you know, that's that's my best advice, uh, Jeff. I'm, I'm sorry I don't have anything more detailed, but, I, you know, it really boils down to that. We've got to get inside the party and we've got to bring people up within the party who reflect our values. Don in Wins, Winsboro, South Carolina. Hey, Don, what's up? Hey, Tom, good to talk to you again. Thank you for your program and all your support. I have a question. Uh, no history or destined to repeat history. What do we know about the 1918 pandemic? And in that time, school was different for kids. I know a lot of them didn't go to school. They worked or whatever. But did they have school then? Did they take the kids out of school? Uh, there was any. I have never heard anything about this, and I was just curious and I'm not really good at looking stuff up. That's a good question, other, Don. I have, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that there were mask wars going on here in Oregon. There was a very, very high-profile court case where a guy didn't want to wear a mask. The state had mandated masks, and uh, the guy went to court and and uh, ultimately won. And all the jurors showed up with masks on. One of them uh, had a towel wrapped around his head that he had cut holes for his eyes through. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some very weird pictures out of this thing. But with regard to the schools, other, I just don't know. One, one other question, which 
the directive from Trump, schools reopening and the lockstep governors, right wing radicals, Florida, Georgia and my state, South Carolina. It, I think there's a good chance I don't want to happen. But it, it, I don't see how it can be a good outcome, putting all these kids back in. They're not supporting them money-wise to make it safe. I just think right. I don't want it to happen, but I think it's going to be yeah, a big there's, problem. There's two, the, there's two stories around this, Don. Uh, the first is that uh, several European countries have had their kids go back to school without a problem. Uh, you will hear that from numerous right-wing commentators and on news sources. And the other is that when Israel opened their schools, within a few weeks, they had a nationwide outbreak and it was all tied back into the schools. So what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is that the European countries that have gone back to school, in particularly the northern European countries where there hasn't been a large spread of COVID associated with school. In some cases, those classes are being held outdoors. In most cases, the classrooms are literally half the size that they were before. They've hired more teachers. They've, they've expanded classrooms. In Southeast Asia, in, in Taiwan, for example, they're back to school, but they have built plastic, uh, essentially little booths around each kid's desk. Um, you know, and everybody's wearing masks. I mean, they're doing all the things that would be required. They're, they're socially distancing, they're, they're potting kids so that they don't interact with other kids. They come in, they go into their pod, they're there all day and then they leave at the end of the day. There's a whole bunch of things that they're doing in the, in the Northern European schools to prevent the spread of the virus. And, and, and apparently kids who are pre-adolescent basically under 12 or 13, those kids less likely to get seriously sick and appear to be less likely to transmit the virus, although they're fully capable of it. And they do get infected and they do and they are measurably infected. But it's the older kids, the teenage kids who actually spread it more aggressively than adults do. And so a lot of those school districts in northern Europe that have opened are not the high schools in some places, they're just not even opening the high schools and Israel's going back to the drawing board. But here in the United States, we're stupid. We're not doing any of that stuff. We're not even thinking about it. We're just saying, ah, you know, go back to school. And, and no extra money, no nothing. You know, teachers have to buy their own supplies and everything else. So, uh, you know, we're gonna, I, I'm telling you, Don, those states that have in-person instruction where kids go back to school, in about six to 10 weeks, you're gonna see two things. Number one, you're gonna see a bunch of dead teachers. And number two, you're gonna see a bunch of dead parents and grandparents who are associated with those kids. Number three, you're gonna see a very small number of kids, but a not inconsequential number of kids who are getting very, very sick from this because this, this does, uh, uh, you know, can produce really serious illness for kids. Margaret in Brooklyn. Hey, Margaret, what's on your mind today? Hey, I wanted to know if you know of any reputable study or poll that examined uh, COVID deaths, COVID uh, hospitalizations, evictions, unemployment, broken down by whether people are registered as Republicans, Democrats, independents, because these catastrophes are just not hitting Democrats. No, to the best of my knowledge, there's no such information. The CDC used to collect this information from hospitals and make it transparently and public avail publicly available, although they didn't uh, you know, ask people if they were registered to vote or what their party affiliation was. But a few weeks ago, Donald Trump took that away from the CDC and gave it to a private for-profit uh, you know, contractor, a giant corporation that, that is a campaign donor that uh, on behalf of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar's agency, and that agency has totally screwed up the data or they've done exactly what Trump wanted them to do and it's no longer available to hospitals, it's no longer available to epidemiologists, we're not getting good clean information, hospitals can't even plan for what's coming down the road because they don't know when a nearby hospital might be you know, maxing out their ICU capacity. It's a total disaster. Um, but. Uh, it would be fascinating to know if Republicans are dying in disproportionate numbers because they're watching Fox News and listening to Rush Limbaugh and figuring, hey, it's just a common cold. Right, because the impact before the November election, I mean, no matter what, you know, they're, they're hearing on Fox News, if, if they're seeing in, in, in reality what's happening to themselves, their families, their jobs, if they're out right. on the street because of an eviction, uh, would you think that might impact their choice uh, on Election Day? 
I doubt it. I think the, the media bubble that people live in is probably, you know, and by bubble, I'm talking about the right wing media bubble. I, I, I think all the rest of it is like the fact based media. Um, and, and, you know, I, I every day, you know, welcome anybody pointing out anything I've said that is wrong or factually inaccurate. It happens maybe once a month. Uh, but it'll happen every 15 minutes on Fox News or on Right Wing Hate Radio. And Donald Trump, I mean, he told 23 lies in his press conference yesterday. So uh, at least according to a site that I read this morning, I can't document that. But, you know, we know that he was lying through his teeth on multiple occasions. So, Margaret, I, you know, we don't have that information. It would be fascinating. It would be really fascinating. Adam in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Adam, what's up? I just had a theory I wanted to run by you, and that is regarding the really just seemingly disproportionate resistance to mask wearing that we're seeing. And it's just, it seems a little bonkers to me. And I was thinking about it a little bit and I thought, okay, so, you know, this messaging is coming from sort of right-wing media and from that sort of billionaire class, corporate class um, agenda. And so I started trying to connect that dot and it thought, I thought about it a little bit and I was thinking, could there be something going on here with facial recognition technology and potentially some sort of covert, facial recognition stuff going on out there that is harvesting data that's no longer effective with people wearing masks. And maybe that's why there's such this, it's seemingly very disproportionate response. Just a theory, but I wanted to run it by you and see what you thought. I I doubt it. I I doubt that has anything to do with it, Adam. I think that this is just, uh, you know, Trump believes that he can bend reality to his will. If he says something often enough, if he says it loud enough, if he says it emphatically enough, if he can get his lawyer to say it, then it becomes true. And that's been the story of his life since he was six or seven years old. And uh, the virus is not listening and the virus doesn't care. So, uh, you know, that that's that's where we're at with that. listening to the Tom Hartman program exposing the con in conservative John in Jeffersonville Ohio hey John what's up I called Rob Portman's uh, office earlier today and I called the the uh, one in the federal government and then I called the local office cuz I do live in Ohio and uh, mm-hmm. I was I was asking for help you know assistance from my representative right and when I was, I finally actually got to talk to a person in the local office down in Cincinnati. I couldn't get to any place else, but I did get to talk to a person. And I explained to him my history is I'm the same age you are. You were, I was born in March 15th of 51. I think you're just a little older than me, maybe. But you know, I'm younger. I was born in May. All right. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so uh, Sorry, when you were when you were a kid, though, you remember kids, you know, going around with polo, polio, right? Yeah, I I, had, I, I didn't I had, know anybody really well who had polio, but but we all knew of somebody who had polio. Yeah, right. So I, I had polio, and I was paralyzed for a year from my waist down, and and that is a virus. And Whoa. I explained to the lady that, that that was a virus. Okay, five years ago, I got human papilloma virus. I got cancer in my throat. That's mm-hmm. the virus, okay? Right. When coronavirus came out, when when that one came, you know, when it started, I started hearing it on the, the world stage and all. March the 11th, I retired from work, and I have not gotten out of my house. Hello? Same here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Louise and I go out to uh, to take walks, and we'll drive the car to a store that will drop things in our in our you know in the hatchback of our car. Um, but right. that's that's it. Yeah, go ahead, John. Okay. But here's the thing that just blew my mind what she said, okay? Because I told her, I said, look, I have all my medications sent to me by the mail. I cannot go out. I'm, I mean, yeah, I could. But I'm not, with my history of viruses, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, third time's a oh, charm. Plus you're over 60. Get. Yeah, 69. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. um, so here's the thing. You know what she told me? She said, well, you know, you could just have them delivered to CVS or pick them up at CVS Pharmacy. <laughs> Brilliant. Blew me away. Yeah. 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 I mean, you this, know, is, this is the thing. Everybody needs to vote, 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 vote. If you just support yes. Bernie Sanders and, and in the meantime, the intensity to vote. Yes. And in the meantime, start raising hell with your elected representatives. John, thank you for the call. I'm sorry to hear about your situation. Um, you know, uh, you might want to talk to your doctor about getting your prescriptions phoned in two weeks early. Uh, I know a lot of, you know, uh, with with my stuff, I know they, you know, they tend to do it like, 
you know, in the in the last week on the assumption that the that it'll get, you know, filled and all that. And for that matter, I'm guessing, you know, the, the drugstores will start start paying attention to this. Uh, but, you know, that they should. I mean, this is this is just nuts. Bart in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Bart, what's on your mind today? While the two houses in Congress and uh, the White House were playing a virtual uh, child's game of called pickup sticks, something got lost in the shuffle. What happened to the $1,200 relief check? That was a one-off. That was the, uh, the first stimulus. And uh, that was back in March when we thought that the whole thing was going to only last a month or two until it just kind of, you know, we didn't know if it was going to go seasonal or not, if it was going to be like the common cold or the flu. Uh, you know, obviously all those hopes were dashed. But the first, the first stimulus or the first, uh, you know, uh, relief, I guess you would call, it, was the $1,200 check that Trump wanted his name attached to. Then the Democrats came up with the CARES Act which said we're going to, instead of doing $1,200 one-off, we're going to do $600 a week basically until, you know, the end of this legislation, which was, what, two weeks ago, the end of last month. And uh, now the Democrats are saying we want to continue the $600 a week well into January or February of next year. And the Republicans are saying, well, Trump is saying, I'll give you 300 bucks, and in giving you that money, FEMA will run out of any money to respond to hurricanes or, or wildfires. And uh, the Republicans are starting to freak out now because they're realizing that that's stupid and it doesn't work. And the law requires all FEMA money going to the states to be matched 25 percent by the states. And the, and the, the, uh, the Republican Governors Association has said to Trump, we're not going to do this. So, you know, Mnuchin is out there desperately trying to uh, negotiate a deal now. Uh, with Pelosi and Schumer. And, and, and they're saying, you know, we passed this thing in May. In May, we passed a $3 trillion HERO Act that funds the elections, funds the post office, you know, gives people $600 a month until January or February, um, you know, takes, it basically so solves all the, this whole collection of problems. And the Republicans are like, nah, we're not going to do that because that's just, you know, you're too generous. You're giving people too much money. And the Washington or the Financial Times this morning had a fascinating analysis that uh, it's been less than two weeks since, or fewer than two weeks, I guess, since the uh, the stimulus, the $600 a week, ran out. And already in the metrics that are measurable, the short-term, real fast metrics, like uh, for example, the main one that they're using is cell phone uh, tracking data to see if people are visiting retail stores and if they're leaving their homes. Are they, you know, are they shopping? basically. And what they're finding, Bart, is that they are not. So this is going to further depress the economy. And that also has Republicans freaked out because they know that the worse the economy gets, you know, the more the voters will punish the party in power, which obviously is the Republicans. Anthony in Seattle. Hey, Anthony, what's on your mind? Hey, I just, uh, at first I wanted to say something about the, the fact that it just blows me away that the media doesn't talk more about the fact that Trump just keeps inserting all his little talking heads. But you mentioned something about the masks to healthcare workers. And I've noticed on um, some of these commercials for like bulb head and all these other like little um, whatever products you want to call it, at the end of the commercials, they always have, oh, here, and we'll send you these 10 uh, healthcare worker quality masks for free. You know, and it's like, oh, and we'll send it to you from our American warehouse. So I'm wondering, like, is this where all of our masks that disappeared months and months ago have wound up? You know, instead of going to the red states, they're just using them to sell products and making the millions off of that. Yeah, I think the mask shortage has largely resolved itself, Anthony. Um, even even in even in medical circles, there are large issues with PPE, uh, disposable gowns, face masks. Um, I, I, I I'm pretty sure that we're meeting the the mask requirements. Although again, you know, there's no good reporting on this. The statistics have been taken away from the Centers for Disease Control and put with HHS. So there's really no way of knowing. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not so concerned about for-profit sites. I mean, we've got an advertiser that's selling KN95 masks. I'm pretty sure they're made in Korea or China. Um, you know, they yeah. may be coming out of an American yeah. warehouse. People are importing stuff and, and selling it, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, <laughs> Donald Trump does that for a living. <laughs>
The thing I'm concerned about is the seizure of information and the lack of good testing. Testing is the key to this whole thing, and we're not doing it. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. You know, around the same time that Donald Trump issued an executive order to slash the revenue to Social Security, a Republican sheriff in Florida required police and people who come to the police station to take off their masks. This is the face of the Republican Party. Greedy, petty, angry, and stupid. And, and to that latter point, Donald Trump has a new COVID advisor, Sure enough, he's got the guy's name is Dr. Scott Atlas. He's a, uh, a radiology guy. He's, you know, a former chief of neuroradiology at, at uh, Stanford University. Uh, this guy regularly appears on Fox so-called news. Uh, he, has, he has said on Fox News, and this is where Trump learned of him. Trump basically gets most of his uh, people from Fox News. Uh, Atlas said it doesn't, and this is what he said on Fox News, uh, this is from a, a piece on Raw Story uh, right now. He said, it didn't matter how many cases there were in the United States and, and claimed that children under the age of 18, quote, have essentially no risk of dying and, quote, almost never transmit this deadly virus. He also claimed that teachers at high risk, quote, should know how to protect themselves, excuse me, quote, and quote, and baselessly blamed outbreaks in southern states on Black Lives Matter protests and on immigrants. Uh, so, you know, Trump says, well, you know, we're, he's our new guy. And I think this is, this is the guy that's going to replace Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci. 
So get ready. You know, another nut job coming your way. But that, I mean, this is, like I said, this is the, this is the face of the GOP now. Republicans, I mean, if you look at policy, Republicans have fought Social Security since it was created in 1935. They fought Medicare and Medicaid since they were created by Lyndon Johnson in the late 1960s. They oppose voting rights for minorities. They want to insert themselves between women and their doctors. They're trying to destroy American families by cutting education, food support, and access to good housing. They even oppose the right of working people to unionize so that they can have decent pay and good benefits. And they oppose the right of average Americans to send their kids to good public schools. They're actively, in fact, working to destroy our public school system. Trump is bragging about this, by the way, tweeting out to white, quote, suburban housewives that he's going to make sure that none of that low-income housing that made Jared Kushner rich will ever be built in their neighborhoods. Anyhow, end of rant. Mike, listening to KPFK in Lamita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Uh, just to report that over the weekend, we achieved another grim milestone in the Trump virus death toll. According oh, really? to, uh, yes, the TrumpDeathClock.com, we reached on Saturday night 92,222 American deaths directly attributable to Trump doing nothing for the first two months of this virus, which amounts in a matter of six months to one-third as many Americans as Hitler killed over four years of World War II. And we and might half again it. more than Nixon and LBJ killed in Vietnam. Tragically. We might note uh, in passing, of course, that the Trump death clock's formula is conservative estimate. And as far as I know, it doesn't take into account all the things Trump has done since back then to discourage proper conduct by, for instance, not being seen wearing a mask until maybe a couple of weeks ago. He's continuing to do that. I, it's just it's just mind boggling. Although I'm noticing, Mike, I, I think that uh, opinions are starting to shift. And and in fact, this weekend seemed to be a big turning point. And I the only thing I the only thing I can imagine uh, exactly about why. And I'm just talking about what I'm noticing here locally. I'm, I'm curious if you're noticing anything like that. If, if you do, a, you know, Louise and I take a walk every day for a couple of miles and there's people, you know, always people. And it's a trail along the Columbia River. And there's always people on the trail who have mass. And there's sometimes people who don't. And, uh, you know, what we have taken to doing is uh, Louise has actually been talking to people who don't have masks. She's been saying, put a put a damn mask on or get a mask or stay away from us if you don't have a mask. You know, things like that uh, politely, but, you know, not not necessarily pleasantly. Um, and what I've been doing is uh, coughing when I, when I get near people without masks. And several of the people who have been aggressive anti-maskers, you know, because, I mean, this is a neighborhood, right? You get to, you, you know, you, you, I, I don't know where exactly where they live, but these are all locals. Um, several of these people that have been, you know, just aggressive about not wearing masks and marching right down the center of the road or of the trail, uh, they're starting to wear masks today when we took our walk. There were two people that we know, you know, for the last week have not worn masks. Today they were wearing masks. I think it's because CNN, um, you know, on the weekend I popped in a half a dozen times and every single time they were talking about masks and about COVID and how dangerous this virus is and all this kind of stuff. And I think that I think it's starting to sink in now that it's hitting red states. What do you think? And I think what may be more persuasive is all these stories we're getting from people in Texas and Florida who believed the whole virus was a hoax because they believed Trump, and then they got infected and killed off some members of their family. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, you know, the the, the coughing thing. I, uh, you know, sometimes you get real bug-eyed, alarmed looks, and one guy moved away from me when I started coughing. He didn't have a mask on. I, I've been thinking it would be a lot easier to walk with a little little bit of, uh, of chili powder in my, you know, a pinch of it between my finger and thumb. And then, you know, when I see one of those guys, just take a quick snort of it so that I start sneezing. Um, because sneezing, you know, it's it, when you cough, it, it, you know, it, it, it sounds like you're faking a cough, which is what I'm doing. But when you start sneezing, you, it's damn hard to sne- fake a sneeze. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. This is all passive aggressive nonsense. You know, it's, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, I'm just saying that's how you get a seat on the subway. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. Joe in Hammond, Indiana. Joe, you got the last minute. What's up? I was uh, just at the grocery store standing in line, like the pharmacy, and this guy wouldn't get in line. He oh, it's all a lie. You know, that COVID is a lie. And uh, then uh, you're going to vote for uh, Biden? I said, yeah. 
oh, uh, we're going to be a socialist country, you know, talking that nonsense. And uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I told him he better learn how to speak Russian, that uh, Putin's going to be his <laughs> Putin's going to be his president. And that he didn't like yeah. that. And, uh, it's just crazy. The worm turns. Uh, I have a saying, uh, no Trump ever because the whole world matters. Vote blue for the good of humanity is my there comments on a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things, Tim. Thanks I'm, for everything I'm, you do. I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I, You're welcome. Thank you for the call, Joe. It's great to hear from you. And thank you for being with us today. These are extraordinary times that we are living through. It's important to chronicle them. In fact, it might be a great time to start keeping a diary as a way of helping maintain your sanity. But, you know, also, actually, one of my, uh, one of my uh, relatives keeps a diary on Facebook. Basically. So there's lots of ways we can maintain our sanity. But, you know, reach out, help each other. But mostly call Congress right now, 202-224-3121. Call your Republican senators and tell them about the post office. Tag, you're it. Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.